First Peter. Let's read a little ways down. We'll get back into our text. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Benithia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept or guarded by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Think of verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Though having not seen him, you love, or having not seen, you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. (laughs) Receiving the end of your faith, verse 9, salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, was indicating when he testified before him the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not for themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Wow. Peter's an apostle of Jesus Christ. One sent. You know, when we look at at elected, and we're going to look at election in verse 2, a very dividing uh, concept to some people. Elect. What does that mean? Does God, we'll get into that a little bit. But you know, we can't get far across the election page, if you will, without understanding that Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. God elected him as an apostle, just like Paul said. He called me to be an apostle, according to his gospel. He was elected, if you will, as, a, as to be his own, and God chose him to be an apostle. You know, there's some that claim to be apostles today. There are no apostles today, uh, biblically. Now, I'm not going to get into semantic war, but if you search the scriptures, you know that apostle is one who has seen the risen Christ. The apostle is the one that was that had the seed or the germ of the gospel, if you will, showed to them, demonstrated to them, and said to them like the apostles did with Jesus Christ when he was here on this earth. But we also see people say, well, what about Paul? What about Paul? 
Paul was converted by the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul was biblically an apostle. Sent with a specific message, you know, the germ truth of the gospel is laid out in, in you know, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it was given specifically to the church and elsewhere through Paul, Peter, Paul's epistles explain the, the unfolding of the church and the grace given to it and so forth. The apostle, they wore it as, as a, a badge of authority, if you will. Not authority that lorded over anybody, but authority that was handed to them by the Lord himself. Do we take that authority that we've been given as a trustees to the gospel of Christ with the same authority? Do we? It's a predominant thing as Christians to grow and have the knowledge of Christ and to be solidified in it. Are you solid in your salvation? Are you solid in your Christian life? Do you know the love of God to where if somebody said, why do you believe in Christ? You can give a solid biblical answer followed by an understanding of the gospel. You know, a lot of people get the gospel preached to them, but it's not preached to them or taught to them in a way that they can understand. The whole world is for, you know, you can't go anywhere without St. John 3.16. Where, what does that mean? Peter was sent, and he was apostle of Christ, but he was sent to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Now, most of these, if not all of these, uh, I know that... Uh, Kim, you might correct me on this, but most of these are in what we now call modern Turkey, that area up in there, the dispersion of these places here. He was sent to these people. You know, we're sent as well, but nonetheless, we see that the word spread like wildfire. You know, that, that popular understanding where Jesus turned the world upside down by 12 men? Well, that was literally true. And I think the, the concept of, of allowing the gospel to do its work needs to be done in us first. You know, people talk about a revival. Let me say something right now before we get into this, just the top of my head. Um, the Bible does not speak of a coming world revival. The Bible speaks of a coming judgment. You know, and if we are to have revival, I pray for revival in this church all the time. It must begin with us. Every each individual must have that awakening of God. You know, and some need to understand that uh, God's not moved. What is it like to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? So he writes to the elect. Where is this message going to? To pilgrims? Why? To the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into this, as we've, we've talked about and demonstrated, I hope, as we've gone through the New Testament several times, God reveals himself as a triune God. That's how God chooses to reveal himself. He not only operates and chooses that we are saved by the working of this triune God, but that's how he reveals himself. God reveals himself as God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. So if, if we were going to pray a prayer that, that would enact this, we would pray something like this. We come unto thee, our Father and our God, through the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. That's how God reveals himself to us. And we are saved. The triune God that was not only uh, in, in involved in creation, but the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were also involved in our being born again. 
the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, believing him is the convicting of sin, and that's the work of the Spirit. You know, some of these churches have... They get so involved in the Spirit, the signs of the Spirit. That's not biblical because the Spirit does not speak of Himself. It points to Christ. He points to Christ. He leads us into all truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. And we go forth. So to be born again is to understand that this God has come down and has an intimate understanding, or we would have an intimate understanding of what it is to be born again. Who is the elect? Let me ask you a question before we start on this. Are the elect, the ones that are chosen for salvation, and yet other ones are chosen to hell? Is that the elect? I mean, let's be honest. Let's think about these things. There's people out there that are going to ask you questions. There's young Christians that are going to ask you questions. These young Christians will find answers, and, and demonic spirits and, and deceiving doctrines of demons will be all too well to give them an answer. If we don't have an answer, Satan and his demons are going to give them an answer. We have a handout that's, that's been written for a couple years now, how you know the apostles talk about deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, false teaching. You know, test every spirit, you know. Paul says to Timothy, as he's leaving, in the last days, there's going to be, you know, doctrines of devils, demons. So if we can't give a solid answer, and if we don't know himself, Satan's all too well to mix us up. So who are the elect? Again, our election is involved in the Godhead, the Trinity. So let's start with that. Our election is according to the foreknowledge of God, and is of grace absolutely apart from anything we could do. By the mercy of God, Jesus said in John 15, You have you not have chosen me, but I have chosen you. Our election, God is is God foreknew. First of all, let me state this by by you know, this is not a cop-out, this is not saying that we don't know, but God teaches both aspects in his word. We must let God be God. Our responsibility and God's sovereign choice. You know, Calvinism says, as, as God is sovereign, it comes to sovereignty to the point where God makes up our mind for us. That is not biblical. We're not going to get into Calvinism today, but you know, it is on the rise again. It has always been there. And first of all, if we're going to talk about election and about God and about the doctrines of God, we must always go back to the founder of those doctrines. Okay, we said, for example, if you want to see what the Mormons are all about, go back to Joseph Smith. If you want to see what the what the um, you know the Watchtower's like, go to Taz, you know Charles Taz Russell. We can go on down the line. Okay, our doctrine, our life is 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 on the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. God revealed these to us. So God has the ultimate say. God has the ultimate truth. Now, if you look at, for example, John Calvin, go back to look at John Calvin's life. Go back and see what he did, what he tried to promote his teachings on, and what he tried to produce. In Geneva, Switzerland, it will alarm you. It will alarm you. It will infuriate you. Because we have some, we have dear friends, we have loved ones, we have people all over the place that are caught in the snare that we... <laughs> 
We had a guy that after a week of talking to him finally broke down and admitted, I don't know if I'm one of the elect. That makes God a monster and you a puppet. You are always shifting around and God wants us to know. Paul says, I write with confidence that he who began a good work and you will finish it in the day of Christ. He is always talking about a confident Christian faith. He's always talking about confidence in the Lord. And that, you know, that verse in Jeremiah 9, 923, you know, that these things delight the Lord, that we might know Him and understand Him, that He's a God of loving kindness, judgment, righteousness. So we must start out right now with this word elect is not a scary concept. It is a biblical concept. It started with God. What does God say about the elect? Who are the elect? Wow. Schofield writes, the foreknown are elected. This election is certain to everyone who believes by the mere fact that he believes. Think about that statement. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Knowing this, brethren, your election of God For all gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what manner we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see a little bit later on that Peter says the gospel is preached by the Spirit through the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit, and the convicting of the Spirit, and the mere fact that one believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is the elect. And then you get people saying, well, wait a minute, that's not true, that's not logical. God ever say to, to find him in, in, in our logic, and our understanding? He said, lean not on your understanding. God's truth is truth. God is sovereign. He elects some to choose him. But yet, on the other hand, man has responsibility. Whosoever will may come. Let, let God be God and let his word do its effect in our life. Not some man's teaching. It's prideful teaching. The elect. We are elected because God in his foreknowledge through time when Jesus was crucified remember before the foundation of the world think about that this is not a New Testament doctrine the cross is not a New Testament doctrine the Old Testament is in the new revealed the elect are simply the ones that have received the gospel of Jesus Christ and are saved and transformed by it. Thereby relieving God of any false wrongdoing and giving man the full responsibility. God in his mercy loved us. For God so loved the world. Who is the world, my friends? That's you and that's me. Wow. Wow. So I want to ask you one question. And this question will be answered two different ways. If you're a Calvinist, you will answer it one way. And you believe, a Calvinist believes that man dead to sin has no free will to respond. 
So therefore, it's the mercy of God that elects some to respond and others, they're elected to banishment forever, eternal fire. That's the, 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 let's, let's get down to it. That's the basis of that teaching. So if you're a Calvinist and you rejoice that you're one of the elect, let me ask you this one question, and if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ and born again and don't hold to that, you're going to answer it a different way. Are you one of the elect? Why? Why are you and I the elect of God? And it's not because we were we could make up our own minds. It's not because we God elected us. I and mean, we're so lucky. You know, I was talking one time to uh, to Pam. She has a different uh, rendition than mine, but I like hers better. You know, when you're when you're when we we were going to high school. You know, and, and every morning before school, they would always have, you know, basketball games, you know, before school. And everybody would line up, and, of course, you'd get the big jocks. They would pick their teams. You'd always hope that you were one of the last ones. You wanted to be picked, you know. And, or, or you do, like, say, you go to a dance. A girl goes to a dance and doesn't want to be a wallflower, wants to, you know, always get danced with. That's what Calvinism does. And you hope that you're one of the elect, because then you're in good graces with God and you're saved. But what if you're not one of the elect? You know? And like my good friend Keith at the end of the week says, I, I don't know if I'm one of the elect or not. Wow. We know that we are the elect of God because the Holy Spirit has convicted us of sin. We turn to Christ as a Savior, believe the gospel, we are saved. God in his foreknowledge, however we can, who can understand? A finite mind can't fully understand foreknowledge. We can see how it's explained in the word of God, but only God has foreknowledge. He knows everything that's going to ever happen from the end, from the beginning. And that, by the way, my friends, is one of the ways that he says that you can prove that the Bible is his word. Remember when Isaiah, Isaiah 42, I tell you things from the beginning so that to the end that you may know when they come to pass that I am he. This is my word. One of the strongest evidences, not only of the Word of God, but changed life, is that God willed it so. He told me He has His gospel, His everlasting gospel. And how do I know that I'm saved? Getting down to verse 3, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How do I know when my sins are forgiven? How do I know I'm alive? How do I know when I turn to Him, I'm a new creature, never to be put in jeopardy again? Because God demonstrated, He not only died for me, He raised His Son from the dead. It's a living hope. And by believing in that, I'm born again. I'm one of the elect. I'm not elected because God had something that He needed from me. There's a teaching going around today, and part of it is in this Jesus calling. You know, Jesus supposedly says to her in a vision, I need you more than you need me. Is that the Bible? No. God elected you, he chose you, because he loved you. And he is going to weep. I think all of heaven is going to weep as those that stumble over the cross of Christ into a Christ's eternity. Our God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever. You read in the last chapter of the Word of God that, that whosoever may come. You know, whosoever will believe. Take a good concordance and look up the word choosing. That's what election really means, choosing. It means to choose or chosen. Take a good concordance and look up how many times the Bible uses choosing. 
and gives us a directive. Choose you this day whom you are going to serve. I have put you before you life and death. Choose life. God says, choose life. I have no pleasure in those that perish, but I will, I will that all would come to repentance. If God willed that all would come to repentance and nobody has a free will, he could just say, I want all people to be saved. That's another popular uh, deal. But because God has the will, the desire, he implants that will and desire in his creatures. We've been made in his image, yes, fallen, but we still have the, the, the power of personality. And by, by the very fact of personality, we're still on chapter or verse 2 here. Don't get me lost. We're still talking about not only the, the logic aspect of election, but the biblical. God made us persons. God breathed into to Adam the breath of life and became a living soul. Part of personality, you can't get away from it. In the Bible, is free will. Part of personality is to choose. Right from wrong, love and hate, death and life, we could go on. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. You know, I believe that the two thieves on the cross, one was one was saved and the other one wasn't. I think what is uh what does one commentator said? I don't know who said it, maybe it was Schofield or somebody, I don't know, but um I'll try to best uh, paraphrase it. The two are on the cross so that one, that one that looks at the two thieves, one would not despair, but yet the other thinker would not, you know, would not realize that uh, that they're going to be people that are going to perish. They're going to be people that are going to perish because they believe not on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's their own doing. How many times in the Bible are we called to be witnesses? Why? We're called to demonstrate the love of God. To show people that there's a God out there that loves them. And how much better to do that than a world of havoc and chaos and evil and shootings and killings and stabbings and rapings and, and all the extortions and all the things that are going on. And all of a sudden you have a gem of the gospel shining a light that God loves you. If election weren't according to the foreknowledge of God and wholly apart from man, but man receives it by a flooding of mercy that opens the door of grace to shine a light of love of Jesus Christ. Wow. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and by the way, this... If you read in the last in the last verse of John, or excuse me, of Paul's second letter to Thessalonians, you'll see the uh, uh, the perfect laid out of the Trinity. Also, if you really look at this, this is what God's talking about: for God so loved the world that He sent. See, if the Father loves the world, so He sent. Look at look at again at the bottom of verse two. The Father, the foreknowledge of the Father, the love of the Father. Sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience of the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. You know, 
Paul puts it this way in Second Thessalonians about uh, yeah, sanctification as well. And, and you know, people don't get a they get a wrong understanding what sanctification really is. We are set apart for God positionally the moment we believe. There's a process in this life down here as we walk. Paul says it again in Philippians 1, 6 and elsewhere that the Father is, is through the Spirit and belief in the Son is sanctifying us. That It's like, remember that, that big thing of marble, that whole wood of marble, and the guy's chipping away on it, and the passerby comes by and he says, wait a minute, man, what are you doing? He goes, I'm making a horse. He says, it doesn't look like a horse. But he says, no, I'm chipping away everything that doesn't resemble a horse. Now, the horse was in there. We are in God the Father, or in Jesus Christ, hidden God. We're positionally in Christ, in the heavenlies, in the recognition of God. And yet in that is Christ. And yet what God's doing in sanctification through this life is chipping away that everything that doesn't resemble Christ. And then we will be total sanctification when we get our soul and our spirit, whether it's rapture or the death, that unite with each other and we're there in Christ, we will be complete in Him. But nonetheless, it is all of grace, it is all of God, and it is all because He sent His Son to die for us. After Jesus rose and ascended to heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit, and He tells you what the Spirit's job is, to convict us of truth. When I realized I was a sinner, and I heard the gospel, I turned to Christ, and I'm saved. I'm forever saved. And he started a work in me many years ago and by no means finished with it yet. <laughs> a lot more whittling to do. But Paul says this. He says, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. For God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel to obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. And Peter says here, Going into verse 3, that there, no gospel is preached unless the resurrection is a part of it. We, we can't, you can't get around that going through the book of Acts. They preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's through the resurrection of Christ that the power of the Spirit comes down and convicts us of sin and fills us with Himself, and we are born-again creatures. Do we understand a little bit about election? I mean, I don't want to go on and spend my whole time, but maybe we should. Election, are we all straight about this? Do we all have a firm understanding of who the elect are? Why? You know, I've been reading about this for quite some time there, but I, I was reading about how Calvinism, again, was getting a start. And by the way, um, it's, it's, it's a problem. And now, uh, just having gone to this recent conference, by the way, which you, you, you know, allowed us to go for years and years and years, I, I was... Expand a little bit more on that knowledge. Now they call it like everything else new. The new Calvinism. It's a broadening spectrum reading to a appealing to a, a biblically illiterate generation. That's what they're doing. That's what Satan does. Or or now we have the new atheists. It's not so much I don't believe in God, I believe God is stupid. Now it's appealing to biblically illiterate Christians, and now we have theistic evolution. Sounds good, doesn't it? Theistic. God created, yes, but he uses millions of years to do Satan's, Paul says that we are not ignorant of his schemes. We need to know that we are the elect and why. And when you do, you realize it's all of the grace and mercy of God. And we fall down and give him worship. 
He is merciful. Peter knew this firsthand. I can't imagine him seeing the Lord in that small court. You know, I remember when Gray and Lisa went to Tombstone. And I, you know, I, I love history of the Old West and that, that okay corral, that fight out, you know, when you see movies, think it's kind of a big, you know, courtyard. Remember? You show me. It's a small area, a small area that these guys fought it out. And it amazed me. Here we have Peter in a small courtyard with Jesus looking at him. And he went out and wept out bitterly. If anybody knew, uh, if anybody knew guilt, it was him. I can't imagine that. Why would God choose him and not somebody else? If he had something to offer God, he was one of the elect because God chose him, yes, absolutely. We just read where in John 15, Jesus said, I've chosen you, chosen. And yet we understand that God in his immutable uh, understanding, which he has all understanding, we have the responsibility of receiving the gospel. Of Jesus Christ, the elect. You're the elect, my brethren. You're born of God and born again. You are one of the elect. You know, there's a lot of people that think the one of the elect that have no idea who Christ is. There's a lot of people out there calling themselves Calvinists that have no idea who Christ is. He says, "Grace and peace be multiplied." Grace to you. Okay, at the end of verse, uh, in verse two, grace to you. What is grace? Wow. Now if we, you know, this is for another study. Grace is not only the uh, free merited favor of God. We all heard that, but it's the love of God. It's the love and kindness, I should say, of God poured out in Jesus Christ. It is God unreservedly leashing His kindness and mercy on us in Jesus Christ. That's grace. We can't earn it. We can't keep it. It is lavished upon us. Grace starts, grace keeps, and grace finishes. Grace to you, that knocks out any kind of a God will sum to heaven and God will sum to damnation. And he says, peace be multiplied. That's one of the two things that my friend Carl, or Keith, excuse me, didn't understand. There's grace and peace. He certainly didn't have any peace. We all understand that there's two pieces. The peace with God, Romans 5.1, the war is over. God made peace. But the peace of God, which is our privilege and our duty to have operating in our life, grace and peace, is both absent when we don't understand who the elect are. Let me ask you a question real quick, and we'll go on. I want to drill this so we understand is God is Charles Manson savable? Yes, he is. Why? Because of grace. Wow. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant what? Mercy. See, mercy in the Bible is the occasion of grace. 
God had mercy upon me and opened the door, so to speak, of grace, and that was it. When the gospel came into my life and I understood it, I was done for. I died. I was done for. Never been the same since. So, yes, stumbled, fell a couple times. But I always fell into grace. That's what the Bible says a Christian does. That is truly born again. When they stumble and they sin, they don't fall from grace. Paul says the ones about the perverted gospel in Galatians, they fall from grace. We fall into grace. That's what grace is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. It's not a hope that we once, you know, Hey, I learned that. I'm going now. It's a living hope. It's, it's, a, it's a fresh hope. Jesus Christ lives his resurrected life in you through the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing understanding of the Christian life. So where's my hope? How am I born again? There would be no gospel if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead. So is there any hope of a gospel in Buddha? Confucius, Muhammad, you name it. No. They're still in their graves. Our hope is in the risen Christ, and that's it. So again, I ask, what, where's, where's your living hope? We'll see a little bit later on what Peter says, uh, and later on in his studies, you know, we'll give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that lies within us. Can you answer that biblically and confidently? Confidently. There are a lot of people out there that think they know what they know. But there are more Christians out there that don't know why they know what they know. It's easy to to listen and and you know get a format. That's what that's what the brain does. The brain's you know it formats a situation. You hear something wrong. It's the way brainwashing is so effective. You get to hear something so often, you start to believe it. That's the brain. You know, um, when I was working in a factory one time, we had a seminar or not a seminar, but a guy came in and we used to have to wear. Uh, ear protection, and people would ask, why, 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 I don't like this, why, 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 well, they explained, there's a little what they call cilia, and they're little hair fibers all going down the canal of your ear, and they bend, you know, according to the, the wave of the sound. Well, the more damage they get with sound, the, the, after time, they don't quite bounce back so far, and that's what causes a lot of deafness, a lot of loss of acute hearing, is these cilia, they lay down and they don't come back. Well, that's the way the brain is memorized. The brain is programmed where we hear something, we hear it long enough, we start believing it. That's why the Bible is constantly talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. To understand what it means to be sanctified, to be elected, to be sprinkled by the blood of Christ. How do I know I'm born again? How do you know you're born again? How do you know your sins are forgiven you? We need to be strong. You know, this church in 1 Corinthians 3.11 is built on the fact that the foundation has already been laid. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. We have that foundation under us. We can build our understanding and be confident. If we don't have that foundation, again, I ask, 
How do you know that your sins are forgiven you? If I were to come to ask you, you know, um, gee, Greg, I, you know, I'm kind of confused. Sometimes I just don't know. I, I, I don't feel saved. Or somebody came to me, if Greg came to me, and, and, and said, I just don't feel saved. How do I know I'm saved? I believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that he lived that life that I could not live. Therefore, being not only my perfect example, or excuse me, perfect representative, but the perfect sacrifice, he never sinned. And so now he goes to the cross and, and he dies a death for me. He takes the separation of sin caused by sin and he died and he suffered separation for that time so that you and I wouldn't have to suffer separation for eternity. That is wonderful. They put him in the grave like all dead people go to. How do I know I'm saved? I believe that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that my sins are gone. It's proof that Christ satisfied God's uh, punishment for sin. God is going to vindicate his law. God is holy and pure, and his law was, 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 was violated. I trampled upon it. Sin was rampant. There was, that, there, was, there was this law, so to speak, and under it was my cesspool of sin constantly, and there was that separation, and, and God had to be vindicated. God's law has to be righteous, holy, and true, and yet he loves me. What's going to happen to me? I had to have it atoned for somehow. There was no way I could atone for my sin. I'm down here in the cesspool of sin. God's up here in his holiness. What's going to happen? Christ came down, lived a perfect life for me. And he died for me. Took my sin, took that cesspool, and he was, he was staying the tide of that cesspool of sin. And what happened? How do I know that I'm no longer there? And how do I know that if I died right now, I'd be in heaven, and that my sins are absolutely forgiven me? More importantly, how do I know that I will never have to give an account of a holy God in judgment on sin? Christ raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead. A living hope. So now I know in love God elected me. He chose me to, to, he sent the gospel to me. Well, however, sometimes a faith person, sometimes a, a program, sometimes a book, however he decides to do it, God sends the gospel. And he convicted me of sin. And I turned to Christ. I'm saved. And, and all that we've talked about, how do I know? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us, Begotten. That means born again. He's begotten me to himself. Now I'm his. Why and how? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me share something with you that, that, that is an amazing thing. You know, when Paul, when Paul was talking about who we are in Christ, he says that not only when we were sinners, Christ died for us, and he demonstrated it. And he also says in 5.17 that those that receive abundance of the grace and the gift of eternal life will reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Let me share something with you. 
When we receive the gospel and the, and the grace of God and the gift of eternal life, when we receive that, it becomes our own possession. But how do I know, again, that, that this God is going to save me through this life? How do I know that even though I get up on the wrong side of the bed, I don't feel saved? You know, when Paul's talking about in that great uh, chapter, chapter 8 in Romans, uh, he says an amazing thing. He contrasts in two verses. Let me share this with you. He says in verse 5 of Romans 8, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. So we contrast, okay? So there's two types of people. Not only Adam and Christ, like Paul says in Corinthians, but Paul says here, there's people in the flesh and there's people in the Spirit. How does God relate to me? Verse 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. God looks at you at altogether different plane. Why? Because he's begotten us again according to a living hope by the resurrection of Christ. So you are and I are safe and sound in the economy of God because Christ rose from the dead. And he's seated at, right, at the right hand of God for you and for I. By the way, that seated, we've talked about many times before, denotes a completed transaction. He got and he sat down at the right hand of God. He's getting up to, to come for us in the judgment, but he's seated at the right hand of God as a completed transaction. You and I, beloved, are saved. We are saved. Wow. And we're only in verse 3. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we're moving on to the fact to security. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance. An inheritance. Paul talks a lot about inheritance in Ephesians and elsewhere. But to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. In other words, it is not going anywhere. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for you. Remember, Peter was, was uh, he was tight with the Lord. He was, um, he heard the Lord speak. <laughs> he also heard the Lord speak this when he spoke in John chapter 10. Listen to this. Listen to these words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Well, those are great claims, aren't they? Those are wonderful claims. Jesus proved it by raising from the dead. And Peter says that all these wonderful claims that you want to hold on, they are true. You can't stretch yourself on completely on the claims of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God raised him from the dead. And Simon Greenleaf says that the, res the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the most detestable evidences of anything he's ever seen. And he now still is the definitive authority of legal evidences for the courts of law. It's reserved in heaven for you. What did Jesus say in John 14? 
to very troubled disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. That was affirmation of his deity. I go away and prepare a place for you. And if I do, I will come back and receive you to myself. And where I am, there will you be also. Where is Christ? He's in heaven. He's coming back for you, my friends, so that you can be in heaven with him, that you can be reigning with him. Wow. It's reserved. Christ rose from the dead. He said what he did what he said he's going to do. You know, like we've always say, and I got a few more minutes, you know, John in John 14, <laughs> if I were to paraphrase it, which which you know, for me, he says, I'm going to go away for you, but I have something to do first. I got a cross to go hang on first. And I need to suffer more cumulatively than any man has ever suffered for you. And you know what? I'm going to take your sin upon you, and I'm going to deal with that because I love you. And then, when I raise from the dead and send to my Father, then I'm going to be building the house for you, a place for you. And you know what? After that's accomplished for undetermined days that only the Father knows, I will come back and I will get you. And when I do, there you will be with me forever. Remember our, our understanding of an ancient Jewish wedding? I love it. Because that, that is what, what the rapture is like. Jesus comes back in the air, calls us to himself. Remember, they, they get enthroned, or uh, betrothed, excuse me, goes away. And, and after a determined time, the, the groom-to-be comes with his groomsmen, if you will. And they don't go all the way to the house to get the woman out of the father's house. They go a little way, and the groomsmen go and said that he's ready for you, he's ready for you. So she comes out a little ways, and she meets him, and he takes her arm and takes her back to the father's house and consummates the wedding. That is the rapture, man. You know, and, and it's a living hope. It's all because of Christ raising from the dead. He says right here. Wow. Jesus rose from the dead and he said, you go tell my disciples and Peter. Because he knew that, that Peter and his confidence failed. Peter's insurance failed. You know? It took Christ raising from the dead. And let me tell you, when he... he when the Spirit descended... Well, we know the fact that Peter, again, in his in his uh, being bold and everything else, um, tradition says that he was crucified upside down. And as they were preparing him to be crucified, he said he didn't feel worthy to be compared in the position that his Lord died in. These men were changed by the power of the Spirit. And Jesus, when he said in John 7... He believes in me as the scripture said, but he said this of the Spirit, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Christ is risen from the dead. He ascended to the Father. The Spirit's been giving, and our hope is through a, li is a living hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. To this inheritance, that's not going to fade away. That's not going to fade away. The unsaved have nothing but judgment to look forward to. We have nothing but glory to look forward to. You know? The unsaved have no position uh, in Jesus Christ. The unsaved have no position. You know, when we looked at Revelation 19, we looked at it a lot throughout the, the years, you know, about where, starting at verse 11, where the door of heaven's opened, remember? 
And Christ is on his, on his royal steed and, and he's coming for judgment. And we're with him. We are with him. The unsaved know nothing about this. But we have that hope. We now have hope of, of forgiveness of sins, of eternal life, of coming back with him, of, of co-reigning with him. And, and, and can you imagine watching our Father? Because Jesus said, his Father now became our Father. The God of the universe now becomes our God when we rose from the dead. Can you imagine watching our Father create the new heavens and new earth? Wow. Sometimes I think we don't understand these things, but they become more and more real. And a knowing, it's infused in us because of the resurrection from the dead. You know, the Apostle John says, these things I've written to you so that you may know. Not hope, not think, not feel. Well, you know, you don't want to be some of these famous, uh, you know, being true to my wife, I won't say names. Some of these famous, world famous, big pastors of mega churches asked by Larry King is, do you, you have to be born again? The Bible says you have to be born again. Well, you know, eh, that's what I believe. But, you know, everybody's different, you know. No, God said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Let's be honest. And we're sure. How do we know? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You and I will be in heaven together. It's a surety. I won't get into this. We will save that for the the, the epistles of John as we get in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Well, you know, Basically, what you're saying is that you can, you can, you know, it's done. You can live how you want. Rubbish. No. This truth gives us not only the fullness of the Spirit, not only the forgiveness of sins, but the rejoicing of our heart that we are so sensitive to sin that we want to do nothing but please the Father. That's what it does. License to sin. No, before this, we had license to sin. We had a nature that gave us a free license to sin. Irregardless of how much it grieved God, irregardless of how much it grieved our fellow man, it was a license. That license was taken away, brethren, and we were given a badge of freedom now. Freedom to walk in righteousness. Freedom to walk with Him. Freedom to walk with joy. And that's what it does. And it's all because of the living hope of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. I know I'm saved. Do you know where you're going? Absolutely. If I were to drop dead behind this wood before you right now, don't grieve for me because before you can even think about it, I'm up there with him. Because he rose from the dead. As proof my sins are gone and as proof that the Father is satisfied with Jesus Christ dying on my behalf. (laughs) So he raised him from the dead. He demonstrated it. Not only that Christ died for my sins, but he he rose his son from the dead as proof to the world and to me. See, he deals with hearts. Proof to me, you know what, Jeff? You're not anymore under judgment. You've passed from death into life. You are mine. Wow. Amazing. Next week, I think we'll start on on verse 5, talking about are kept by the power of God. That's another thing, too, you know. Uh, a lot of people understand that we were, you know, forgiven of our past sins, or, you know, maybe even the future. But what about now? 
Well, we're kept. We're not only kept now, but we're kept for eternity. One thing, and I'll close with this statement, one thing about being born again and understanding what it is, it's the recipient of the eternal life that God had in the eternity past and the eternity future. We are the recipients of it. That's what it means to be born again, born from above. We are now recipients of it, of eternal life. And that's what being born again is. It's not religion. It's not, you know, how many Sundays you can go to church, it's not how many good deeds you can do. It's not your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. It's not, it's, it's none of that. It's the recipient of a life outside of this creation. <laughs> That's why pantheism is on the uprise again, with yoga and everything else. God is apart from his creation. He's not in his creation. He's apart from it. He loves it. So he pierced time and came into his creation in the form of a man. Boy, now we're back in Genesis 3. So, hmm. let's give a reason for the hope of everyone lies with us. The hope that lies with us. With meekness and fear. But before we do that, as the verse says, let's sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Let's know who we believe. Let's be confident that he's able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day. Some of the last words that Paul said to Timothy before he went off to Rome to be executed. That's confidence. That's not just, that's not, well, I've tried Christ, it doesn't really work for me. We want to be confident people. Cam, would you play, please? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the confidence we can have attested to by all of the apostles the sureness that we have of our eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Savior we give thanks for that Mm. for the hope that we have for the confidence uh, that can never fail because of your faithfulness Nothing. I can't wait till we, we get into the belly of this of this prophet. We'll learn more about him. I pray that we would just come to know God and to know Him and who He is, what He does. And for you that have taken notes. pray that we all understand, and I promise I will close with this. I shouldn't say that. My wife tells me every time, don't say that until you actually do it. (laughs) And we love it. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. This is a good springboard text to flower out the rest of the Word of God to see what God really delights in. What is? I want God to be delighted in how I view Him. I want, I want to know God. Paul says it this way, I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. But listen to what, what Jeremiah says. Chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord. This is God speaking. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. 
That shoots down just, you know, there's so many people that know doctrine, and, and we should know doctrine, but there's so many people that boast on what they know. Let me sit down and teach you the scripture, you know, pat you on the head, so, you know, so to speak. God says, don't glory in that. That is, that is wonderful that you know the attributes and the doctrine of Christ, but don't glory in that. That is a gift. Paul says, why do you glory in what, and Stuff that, you know, as if you haven't received it, when you have received it. We know the correct doctrine of Christ because the Holy Spirit gave us the wisdom. So we can't glory in that. So don't glory in that. Let the mighty man glory in his might. Listen, when I was 20 years old, I was a pretty strong young man. I'm not that way anymore, and I'm, I'm going downhill. Don't boast in your might. Are you a rich man? Wow, we don't have time to talk about riches. That is foolish to glory in your riches. Here today, gone tomorrow, we talked about the two men that gloried in their riches. One couldn't hang around to, to really enjoy it. The other one will never get there. But look at verse 24. But let him who glories glory in this. Now that God tells you what you can glory in. God tells you what you can really invest your life in. You know, Paul, at the end of his life, when we told Timothy, I've, I've shown you my manner of life, my doctrine, my reasoning, my purpose in life. Well, this is our purpose. If you really want to know God, he says, but let him glorious glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. And then he ends by saying, in these things I delight, says the Lord. He does not delight in the pride of, of knowledge. Knowledge is good, but it puffs up. But love edifies. And to know the God of love is to know life. I want to know God. And, and, I, and I want to live my life delighting in Him. Understanding Him. You know, God, people say, well, God's a knowable. Well, He's a two-edged sword. Yes, God is so beyond our capability. But God in His mercy has laid down in His Word what he likes, what who he is, how he deals with us, what he rejoices in, what he doesn't rejoice in, what he likes. Wait a minute. That takes freedom of will. That takes choice. That takes a will of our own, and that takes uh, not only discipline, but everything else. But God delights in that. I don't want to have a God that says, you know what, Jeff? You better be lucky, man. You better feel good because I chose you from the foundation of the world and wow, you made it in, guy. And yet my, my wonderful friend Greg over here wasn't as fortunate because God didn't seem to, to really you know, choose him. Because after all, we don't have free will. That is rubbish. And God wants us to know him. And he deals with his people, Israel, in such a way that they will have, according to C.I. Schofield, and I, I love this saying, their greatest exaltation yet. Father, I thank you for tonight. Lord, your word is just, it's fascinating. It's not only alive and active and sharpening to its sword, it's the rejoicing and joy of my heart. I pray that we would all have that 
Uh, even as Jeremiah said, I found your word and I ate it. Oh, boy, was it rejoicing in my heart. It just never can be fathomed enough. It never can be studied enough. It never can be chewed on enough, enjoyed enough. It's eternal. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we would understand that you are outside of time, and yet you chose because you love us to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for tonight. Go with us as we go, and I pray that, again, we would just be blessed with the warm fellowship of Jesus Christ. In his name I ask. Amen. Amen.